to you folks again in South Boston. Just trying to remember how many years it's been since I preached here. It's been a good many. It's good to be back. Dan wondered if I'd tell a little bit about who we are as a family. My wife is with me here today, Myrna. She was Bayard Nicely's youngest daughter. It might make a connection for some of you. I grew up just 1.49 miles from Bank Mennonite Church, and that's where I live today. The furthest I ever moved is when we moved our bedroom suit from upstairs to downstairs. So I guess I tell people I'm one of these flat earth people. I haven't gotten very far from home. Uh, do enjoy traveling, though. The Lord has blessed us with four children. You may know some of them. Andrea is our oldest. She's 23 and big friends with Hannah Showalter. I don't think Hannah's here today. I think she teaches school in the area. And then our second daughter is Charity. She's married to Ryan Kugler, and she's 21. Weston, our son, is 18, going on 19, and our youngest daughter, Janelle, is 17, and they're all at home. So I don't know when you switch from young married to middle aged to old age, but I'm sure I'm not young married anymore, and I'm not sure somewhere in that middle aged to older things questionable as well. I do feel like in the last year or so I have a deeper connection here with this congregation because we are poultry farmers and it doesn't take a lot of intellectual ability to carry a five gallon bucket and pick up chickens in a chicken house so I generally listen to sermons uh, on podcast as I go about my chores so I'm able to kind of keep up with what's being preached here. Haven't listened to it yet, but I believe Calvin Hurst was here last Sunday, and his sermon title was, Are We Thankful Enough? Is that right? So, looking forward to listening to that. I've seen the title, but I like that. It gives opportunity to hear inspiring messages and, and feel a greater connection with other churches in, in the conference that way. So, here we are today. Do thank you for your prayers. I ask that you would continue to remember this series of messages and prayer today as we go through what the Lord has laid on my heart, and let's seek his will together. I'd like to open with a little saying here. Well, the title of the message is Overcoming Insecurities in Our Youth. And I'd like to open here with a little saying and see if anyone can tell me where it comes from. It was the best of times, it was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom, it was the age of foolishness. It was the age of belief, it was the age of doubt. It was the spring of hope, it was the winter of despair. You ever heard that before? That's the opening paragraph in a book called The Tale of Two Cities by Charles Dickens. And it was about the, the moral and social and economic times of Europe in the late 1800s, I believe. And he opened that up, and it's somewhat of a contradiction of itself. It was the best of times, it was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom, it was the age of foolishness. It was the age of doubt, it was the age of belief. It was the spring of hope and the winter of despair. And as I thought about this message, I thought, in a way, that could be descriptive of the emotions that we go through in the time of youth. Youth can can encompass a wide array of feelings and emotions as we transition from childhood to adulthood. Youth can be a time of excitement, physical growth, and vitality. 
But youth can also be a time of deep struggle as we wrestle with, with questions about ourselves and about life and where do we fit in and what is God allowing to take place in our lives. The early years of childhood for many who grew up in Christian homes can be a, a somewhat time of carefree uh, growth and, and interaction and security in their parents' love and protection. And in, in Christian church and in Christian day school, it's a very secure place for young children to grow and to, to be a part of. And we appreciate that. We, we maybe take that for granted when we ought not and, but it is a real blessing. But as we enter into the teen years, life begins to change. We are reaching a greater level of maturity. And there are many changes, physical changes, emotional changes. And during this transition period, insecurities can creep into our lives. And we can struggle with questions like, who am I? Where do I fit in? What is God's purpose for my life? And why has God allowed different and difficult experiences to be part of my experience. Then we can look at the other side of it. There are many children who do not have the blessing of growing up in a home with Christian parents who love them and care for them. And their struggles can be long and difficult. And if you've ever walked alongside someone or been that, been that someone yourself, you know that those struggles can be long. When a home wasn't what it could have been or should have been, and maybe they didn't have relationships to, and mentors and role models to look up to during those tender and formative years in their lives. There was a survey done recently, very recently, and it concluded that two out of three young boys growing up in America today do not have a mentor or a positive role model to look up to in their inner circle of friends. Can you imagine where society is going in light of that? Two-thirds of young boys in the nation we live in do not have a positive role model to look to in their experience as far as a male role model. But I can assure you, as Brother Dan has already encouraged us this morning, that we do serve a God who has a plan and a purpose for every life. Even out of those difficult experiences, there is God. And when we seek Him with our whole heart, and we seek to, to know, to discern His will, and then to follow His will, God will show us what He has. And He will weave a beautiful tapestry in every life as we seek to follow Him. And that does not mean that our journey will be pain-free, that there will not be difficult experiences for us to to experience and to walk through. And it's through that that God will mold us and shape us and make us better if we choose not to become bitter. It does mean that we can experience joy, we can experience peace, and we can experience fulfillment as we allow God to work out His will in our lives. As I studied and prepared for this message, there were three twos that the Scripture and the Holy Spirit kept reinforcing in my mind. The first is this, God is faithful. He will never leave us nor forsake us. And there's many examples in Scripture where we can go to and find that. We can find that in the life of Daniel as a young man, the life of Joseph, and others who God led in their lives. 
The second thing that I kept noticing is that God sets boundaries to give direction and protection for our lives. God sets boundaries to give direction and protection in our lives. And the third is, God has a wonderful plan and a purpose for every life. Jeremiah 29, 11 reads as this in the New International Version. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. God is weaving something beautiful in every life as we allow him to. So this morning I would like for us to consider the life of Joseph, and we will notice how these three truths are developed and evidenced as God works in Joseph's experience. I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis, the 37th chapter. Genesis 37, 1 through 11. And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. And these are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age and he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. And Joseph dreamed a dream and told his brethren they hated him yet the more. And he said to them, Here I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose and also stood up. Right. And behold, your sheaves stood around about and made obeisance to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, Shall thou indeed reign over us? And shall thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. And he dreamed yet another dream and told it to his brethren and said, Behold, I've dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and eleven stars made obeisance to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren. And his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come and bow down ourselves to thee, to the earth? And his brethren envied him, but his father observed their saying. So here was a young man, and at a young age, he began to find himself in a difficult situation. He had a father who was partial, and that's a challenge to each of us as parents. Do not show partiality to your children because it will lead to envy just as it did here in this situation. So Joseph caught between a partial father and envious brothers, right in the middle. What could he do? It said his brethren hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. Literally means they would never speak a kind word to him. So out of that situation is a young man developing and growing toward manhood. A group of brothers who would not say a kind word to him. And it said his brothers envied him in verse 11. Now let's move on and notice the end result of what happened. And his brethren went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said unto Joseph, Do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send thee unto them. And he said unto him, Here am I. 
And he said to him, Go, I pray thee, see whether it be well with thy brethren and well with the flocks, and bring me word again. So he sent him out of the vale of Hebron and came to Shechem. And a certain man found him, and behold, he was wandering in the field, and a man asked him, What seekest thou? And he said, I seek my brethren, tell me, I pray thee, where they feed their flocks. And the man said, They are departed thence, for I heard them say, Go to Dotham, let us go to Dotham. And Joseph went after his brethren and found them in Dotham. And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Now therefore let us slay him and cast him into some pit. We will say, Some evil beast hath devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. And Reuben heard of it and delivered him out of their hands and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said unto him, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit that is in the wilderness, and lay no hand upon him, that he might rid him out of their hands, and deliver him to his father again. And it came to pass, when Joseph was come out unto his brethren, that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many collars that was on him, and they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty, and there was no water in it. And they sat down to eat bread, and they lift up their eyes, and behold, and looked, and behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels bearing spicy balm and myrrh going to carry it down to Egypt. And Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let our hands be upon him for he is our brother. Let not our hands be upon him for he is our brother and our flesh and his brethren were content. Then there passed by a Midianite merchant man and they drew and lift up Joseph out of the pit. And they sold Joseph unto the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver, and they brought Joseph unto Egypt. And Reuben returned to the pit, and behold, Joseph was not in the pit. And he rent his clothes and returned to his brethren and said, The child is not, and I, whither shall I go? And they took Joseph's coat and killed a kid of goats and dipped the coat in the blood. And they sent the coat of many collars and brought it to their father and said, This we have found, and know not whether it be thy son's coat or no. And he knew it and said, It is my son's coat. An evil beast hath devoured him. And Joseph is without doubt rent to pieces, rent in pieces. And Jacob rent his clothes and put on sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, For I will go down to the grave and to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. So here is Joseph, rejected by his own brothers. God has created within each one of us the desire to love and to be loved. God has created within each one of us the desire to, to accept and to feel acceptance. And the greatest pain that we can feel is to feel rejected, abandoned, and unloved. And put yourself in the shoes of this 17-year-old young man. He went out to his brothers. First they conspired to kill him. Then one of the brothers had more heart than the others and said, no, let's put him in this pit and he was going to sneak him out and try to get him back to his father. But while he was away doing something else, Judah came up with another idea and said, let's sell him to these Ishmaelites and send him away. And we'll just, we won't be guilty of killing him. He will be out of our way, and we'll see what will become of his dreams. I don't know if you've ever thought this thing through. Who were the Ishmaelites? They were descendants of Ishmael, right? 
If I figure correctly, these Ishmaelites were second at the most distant, probably third cousins. Now, they were half cousins. But he was sold to his cousins and transported down to Egypt and sold in the slave block. Another dagger in the heart of a young man. Sold as a slave, rejected and abandoned. From being his father's favored son to being a slave in Egypt. Verse 36, And the Midianites sold him into Egypt unto Potiphar, the officer of Potiphar, of Pharaoh, and the captain of the guard. So he was sold to the head of the secret police that guarded the president, so to speak. That's who bought him. And that is in the home in which he lived and moved and worked. And we don't find here that Joseph became bitter or angry or said, why me? Or what is the purpose of all of this? God, if you're really the good God that my father taught me that you were, where are you at in all this? And I'm sure Joseph wrestled with some of those thoughts. He would have had to if he was human at all. Why is all this taking place in my life? But let's notice that Joseph was with the Lord and the Lord was with Joseph. We skip a chapter now to chapter 39. And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, the officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, brought him to the hand of the hand of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. The Lord was with Joseph, reinforcing what Brother Dan shared with us with us already this morning. God is faithful. And as we are faithful to Him, as we are open to His leading in our lives, God walks with us. And He offers us the privilege of walking hand in hand with Him. God is faithful. Point number one. Verses two and three. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man. He was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord had made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in, the, in his sight, and he served him and made him overseer of his house and all that he put into his hand. So here's a young man who no doubt was very lonely. He'd experienced rejection and abandonment by his own family. He found himself in a foreign land, a strange land, a land where there was evil, idol worship, and practices that he had probably not even been exposed to or knew of in his somewhat sheltered life as a shepherd's child in the, in the land of Canaan. But he was faithful. And in his faithfulness and in his relationship with God, those around him observed his life and seen here is a young man that we can trust. Here is a young man that we can place our confidence in and he has integrity to be an overseer of our possessions and our livelihood. 
Verse 5, And it came to pass from the time that he was made him overseer of his house and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake, and the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he knew not aught he had save the bread which he did eat, and Joseph was a goodly person and well favored. The young man, if he was 17 when he went to see his brothers till they made it to Egypt, he was sold, worked his way up, no doubt in his late teens at this point. Verse 7, And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused, and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wanteth not that is with me in the house, and he committeth all that he hath into my hand. There is none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Joseph had obviously made a commitment as a young man to walk before God in integrity. Proverbs 20, 11 says, Even a child is known by his doings, whether his work be pure and whether it be right. Now, he was beyond childhood, but somehow in his father's home, he had chosen to follow the truth of God's righteousness. Proverbs 16, 6 says, By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. And by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. When a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. And there's two, two parts to this verse that are so true in this setting. First, or second, it says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. As, as Joseph walked with God, even... His owners, remember he was a slave, even his owners were at peace with him and noticed his integrity and trusted, entrusted into his care all that they had. The first part here of this verse applies to what we're looking at now. By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. And by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. Joseph, as a young man, Come to know and understand the fear of the Lord. And he understood the importance of having a life that is purged of evil. And I'm amazed at all of this as I, as I contemplate on it. That a man who was going through so much never compromised his integrity. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. So we see here the evidence of God, of Joseph living with reverence for God and for his precepts. And that brings us to the second point of the message. God's commands are both boundaries and safeguards to protect us from evil. And the damaging effects of allowing sin to come into our lives. Somehow at this young age, Joseph had embraced this concept, and as Daniel, he had purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself, and he said, I will not sin with this Egyptian woman. Now let's think a bit about what that meant to that young man. He had been separated from his father. He had experienced abandonment and rejection from his brothers. 
He had been transported by his cousins and sold as a slave. His mother had died when he was young. Do you assume that this young man was lonely? And now there's a woman who was offering him attention and affection to a lonely young man. I'm told by those who work in these things and, and try to help young men who are caught in the sin of, of immorality and impurity that one of the most dangerous times for them to have access to, to the internet or other things like that is when they're lonely and feeling down. Here was a young man who no doubt was lonely and could have been feeling down had he allowed himself to. And now he's being pursued by this adulterous woman. And I'm sure that was a very real temptation in many ways. But Joseph chose faithfulness to God. He had trusted in God for his provision and for his protection. And he understood it's better to suffer for doing right than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Joseph knew the importance of boundaries. Do we? And it came to pass that she spake to Joseph day by day that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. And the more literal translation makes that clear that Joseph wouldn't even allow himself to be in her presence. He understood the importance of boundaries and safeguards in his life. Reminds me of a story once that Brother John Brunk told in a series of meetings. I don't know where the story came from, but he said, after youth in a certain setting, a certain place, the young girls or the youth would go hang out at the mall. But he said there was one girl that wasn't allowed to go there. Her parents did not allow her to go and hang out at the mall after youth. And his conclusion was the difference was that girl's parents just loved her a little more than anyone else. They set up boundaries to protect her. So young people, please know this. If you feel like the boundaries that your parents or your church or whoever else is an authority in your life is setting up for you may be a little too tight, a little too strict, and you don't understand the long-term benefit of what it could mean to you, I encourage you to trust them, to trust them. They've walked this path before us. And they have experience and wisdom and understand the temptations of this world in a downward pull better than we. Joseph understood that. And he did not even allow himself to be in the presence of the temptation. Paul wrote to his son in the faith, Timothy, and he said, flee youthful lust. That means run. Go the other direction. The scripture also warns us, says we are not to make provision for the flesh. Be careful. Reminds me, last Sunday, Brother Nathan Horst and Sister Phyllis came to church and they had two boxes and they had a box of little bags of popcorn and a box with little uh, Ziploc bags and each had a nice big round cookie in it. And uh, everyone at church could choose either a little bag of popcorn or a cookie. And there was one sweet little boy, he'd went and got his cookie, and I don't know, he'd eaten part of it, or 
the whole thing. I'm not sure how it was. And he kept tugging at his mom, and he said, can I have another cookie? Can I have another cookie? And she said, no, you've already had yours. And he said, well, can I just go over and look in the box? <laughs> well, the mother laughed, but she didn't cave. Uh, you see the danger there? It would have been really hard if that little boy had stood over the box and without his hand kind of involuntarily getting in the box. And that's, I thought that's a great sermon illustration. You know, That's how we need to be with sin. Don't even go over and look in the box. Flee youthful lust. And that's what Joseph did here. And the Lord blessed him for it. Now, going to prison may not seem like a blessing, but I'll share my opinion. He was a lot safer in that dungeon than he was in Potiphar's house, spiritually, by far. Verse 11, chapter 39. And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business, and there was none of the men in the house were within. And she caught him by his garment, Potiphar's wife that is, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and, and fled and got him out. And it came to pass that when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and was fled forth, she called to the men of her house and spake unto them, See, saying, See, he hath brought a Hebrew in a Hebrew unto us to mock us. And came unto me to lie with me, and I cried with a loud voice. And it came to pass, and when he heard that I lift up my voice and cried, that he left his garment with me and fled and got him out. And she laid up the garment by her until his Lord came home. And she spake unto him according to these words, saying, The Hebrew servant, which thou hast brought unto, me, unto us, came in unto me to mock me. And it came to pass that I lift up my voice and cried, that he left his garment with me and fled out. And it came to pass when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spake unto him, saying, After this manner did thy servant to me, that his wrath was kindled. And the master, and Joseph's master, took him, and put him into prison, in a place where the king's prisoners were bound. And there he was in prison. And now, on top of everything else that Joseph had already experienced, he was falsely accused of doing wrong because of his commitment to do right. Here was the wife of the head of the secret police. And no doubt a woman who was used to getting what she wanted when she wanted it. And a young man defied her demands. So she turned it around and accused him of doing what he had purposed not to do. So he's putting prison, falsely accused of doing wrong because of his commitment to do right. Young people, older ones as well. Have you ever found yourself on the receiving end of a false accusation? That's difficult. It's difficult. Especially if you intended to do your best and find yourself being accused of doing wrong. Again, Joseph did not give up on God's faithfulness. He did not become bitter. And maybe it was, as I said earlier, that Joseph and his wisdom and his integrity was relieved to get out of that house and away from that woman and to be in prison with a group of men. Because we notice the Lord followed Joseph right into the dungeon. Verse 31, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed Joseph's hand to Joseph's hand, all the prisoners that were in the prison, whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. 
And the keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand, because the Lord was with him, and that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. Does that sound familiar? His integrity doesn't change. His commitment doesn't change. Faithfully serving again. And he gained the trust of everyone that he served. And it was obvious to those whom he served that the Lord was with him. And that's a real, that's a real challenge to me at 52 years old. Does God, let me rephrase that, does people who observe my life say he is serving the Lord, therefore we can trust him? We know that his word will be kept. God's faithfulness doesn't change in our lives. Even when we're falsely accused and find ourselves in a difficult position because of it. And we know how the story went from there. That there was a baker and a butler that ended up in prison with Joseph. And they had dreams. And Joseph interpreted for them the dreams that they had received. Drop down here to verse 15. I'll drop back up to verse 12. And Joseph said unto him, and this is to the, uh, to the butler, and Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation of it, of the butler's dream. The branch, three branches are three days. Yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thine head and restore thee into thy place. And thou shalt deliver Pharaoh's cup into his hand. After the former manner when thou wast his butler. But think on me. Notice verse 14. Joseph's plea. But think on me when it shall be well with thee and show kindness, I pray thee, unto me. And make mention of me unto Pharaoh, and bring me out of this house. For indeed I was stolen away out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me in this dungeon. And when the chief breaker saw that the interpretation was good, he said unto Joseph, I also had my dream. And he goes on to talk about that one. But Joseph appealed to the butler. He said, when you find yourself back in the presence of Pharaoh, plead with him my case, that I, a young Hebrew boy, was stolen away out of the land where I grew up. Even here I've done nothing wrong, but yet I'm placed in this dungeon. And we know what happened. The butler forgot. And Joseph served God faithfully for another two years in that dungeon. It would be interesting, it is interesting, that God does give us glimpses of time. That he was 17 when he was sold, or when he was taken down to Egypt. He was 30 years old when he was brought out of the dungeon into Pharaoh's presence. So as we look at that, we realize that from our perspective, the best years of Joseph's life was found in slavery and imprisonment. Probably 18, 19 to 29, somewhere. 10 years of his life was either as a slave or as a prisoner, a slave in the prison, so to speak. 
Putting ourselves in Joseph's shoes. It seems like that time in the prison would have been some of the most difficult. Years come and years go. Years come and years go. And he hadn't forgotten his roots. He said, I was taken out of the land of the Hebrews. Joseph could have said, I give up. What's the use to even try? I tried to be a friend to my brothers and check on their well-being, and they sold me as a slave. I served Potiphar with my whole heart. I even served Potiphar by refusing his promiscuous wife, and I was imprisoned. And now I make a simple plea to the butler to remember me, and even he forgets me. But we find Joseph serving faithfully. Let's go to verse 32 of chapter 41. And now Pharaoh has a dream. And for that the dream was doubled into Pharaoh twice, it was because the king established, because the thing is established by God, and God will surely bring it to pass. Now this is Joseph standing before Pharaoh. Now therefore let Pharaoh look out a man discreet and wise, and set him over the land of Egypt, and let Pharaoh do this. Let him appoint officers over the land to take the fifth part of the land of Egypt in the seven plenteous years. And let them gather all the food, those good years that come, and lay up corn under the hand of Pharaoh, and let them keep food in the cities. And that food shall be for store unto the land against the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land perish not through the famine. And the thing was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and the eyes of all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find such a one as this, a man in whom the Spirit of God is? And Pharaoh said to Joseph, For as much as God has showed thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou. And thou shalt be over my house, and according to thy word shall all, thy people be, all my people be ruled. Only for the throne shall I be greater than thou. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set thee over the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and arrayed him in vestures of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck and made him ride in the second chariot which he had. And they cried before him, Bow the knee, for he made him ruler over all the land of Egypt. Joseph's faithfulness put him in a position to now be in some ways a father to the Pharaoh, a counselor, a godly influence, a man of discernment, a man who could, who through God's direction could speak for future things that were yet to come. The same Joseph, the same God in unwavering faith. And when a person walks with God in unwavering faith, God can use that person to honor himself, to honor God and to bring blessing in that person's life. And that reminds me of Jesus when he came uh, down from the mountain of, of temptation, and he went into the temple to speak, and they handed to him the book of Isaiah the prophet. And he opened it up to Isaiah 61, and he read a portion of that chapter, the first number of verses of that chapter, and he said, Now this day is thy scripture fulfilled in thy hearing. What was that scripture? And the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. 
He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, and to appoint unto them to mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he, the Lord, might be glorified. So Jesus quoted this passage as he began his earthly ministry, his, his preaching ministry. And that is true yet today. The purpose of Jesus coming, he said, I came for this purpose. I've came to preach good tidings to the meek. I've come to bind up the brokenhearted. I've, claimed to I've come to proclaim liberty to those who find themselves in captivity. The opening of the prison to them that are bound. And I don't think he's talking necessarily about a physical prison like Joseph found himself in. But the prison of sin, the, the prison of the downward pull of this evil world that we live in. Jesus said, I can give you freedom from that. I can break those chains. In verse 3, to appoint to them that mourn in Zion. To give them beauty for ashes. God can bring healing to a life that has been hurt and pained. Joseph had a young life that was no doubt painful in many ways. And there are many in our society today, and maybe even some here today, that have experienced pain in their experience of growing up. Maybe it's rejection. Maybe it's abuse. Maybe it's whatever that Satan can throw at us. But whatever it is, the God we serve is greater. And the healing that he offers us in Christ Jesus is complete. And if we were just to look at this passage this morning, we would develop it to say that, that our identity is not our past. Our identity is our position in Christ Jesus. And I want to encourage all of us, especially young people, be careful about the, the current movement that we are somehow victims of our past and that we carry that identity with us for life. Yes, we need to accept and to realize the reality of things that may have happened to us. But we don't have to stay there. Jesus will pick us up as we place ourselves in his arms and carry us and bring healing. And he can bring beauty for those ashes. He can bring joy instead of mourning. He can bring praise instead of heaviness to bring honor and glory to himself and to equip us to serve him better in serving him and serving others. Let's go to Genesis 45. Genesis 45 and verse 3. A lot has happened. Joseph's family has came to Egypt. And his brothers... And finally, he has tested them. He has determined what he wanted to know about them. And it's time to reveal himself to his brothers. Genesis 45 and verse 3. 
And Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph, doth my father yet live? And his brethren could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. And Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near to me, I pray you. And they came near, and he said, I am Joseph your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Now therefore be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that ye sold me hither, for God did send me before you to preserve life. God did send me before you to preserve life. And here we see the third point of the message. God is weaving a beautiful tapestry in our lives. We cannot see it sometimes as the process is going on. But he is. To give a little illustration of what I'm referring to, my wife and I had the privilege of traveling to the Middle East in January and February this past year to visit the workers there in Jordan. And we was able to purchase some of these. I forget the exact Arabic name for it, but I just call it a scarf. And I'm sure this was probably printed in a machine. But many years ago, this thing would have been woven one thread at a time, sliding through with just the right collar at just the right place. And when it began, it probably didn't make a lot of sense when all you could see was the bottom of the camel's feet. But as it became nearer and nearer completion, a picture began to emerge. And when it was finished, it's a very beautiful piece that we can look at. Kind of reminds us of Joseph riding to, to Egypt, doesn't it? That's how God is working in our lives. Each day of our lives, he's pulling another thread through the tapestry. And each day, the picture of what he's doing in our lives is becoming a little more and a little more evident. We can rest in him as he does that. Somehow Joseph understood that throughout his whole experience. He understood that God was working and even the most difficult experiences was all part of God's plan. Let's go over now to chapter 50 and verse 15. <clears throat> this is after uh, Jacob's, or after Israel had passed away. And the brothers were again afraid of what may become of them because of what they had done to Joseph. Genesis 50 and verse 15. And when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said unto Joseph, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us and will certainly requite us for all the evil which we did unto him. And they sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, they didn't even go themselves, they sent a messenger. Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall ye say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespasses of thy brethren and their sin. For they did unto thee evil, and now we pray thee, forgive their trespasses of their servants, of the servants of God thy father, of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. I'm not sure. None of us know exactly why Joseph wept. He wept when he presented himself to his brothers, and here he wept again. Was it because he was thinking back on the, the trauma that he experienced and the difficulty? Or was he weeping because his brothers hadn't accepted his forgiveness previous to now, and he understood that they didn't understand? Or what was it? We don't know. 
And his brethren also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we be thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, ye thought it evil against me, but God meant it unto good, to bring it to pass, to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. Now therefore, fear ye not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. Notice the exact opposite. What did the scripture say when we started this morning? His brothers could not speak a kind word to him. All the way at the end. Joseph's nearing the end of his life. And he did for his brothers what they refused to do for him. He spake kindly to them. He said, I will nourish you. I will take care of you. I will make sure that you, your needs are met. And he encouraged them. Even though you intended evil when you sold me, the faithful God that I serve meant it for good. He worked it all out. It was all part of his plan. And that's another part of this that I want to encourage us all, young people and older ones alike. In order to truly forgive those who have wronged us, we must feel empathy for them. I heard a story recently of someone who suffered abuse at the hands of another person when they were young, and they, they, they just couldn't bring themselves to forgive that person until they heard that person's life story and realized the terrible trauma that they had gone through. And they began to understand that this person had misused them out of his frustration for what had happened to him when he was young. And we're not making it right. We're not saying it wasn't wrong. But it's the idea of understanding God is working and we have to have the spirit and the mind of Christ in order to work through those difficult experiences in our lives. I have a number of quotes I'd like to share with us. Came, this one came from a friend of mine who's experienced struggle in his life. He said, God never wastes our pain. God never wastes our pain. He also said this, May the pain that we are experiencing today become the empathy we have for others tomorrow. May the pain that we are experiencing today become the empathy we have for others tomorrow. The third one is one that I actually have in my phone. Meaningful relationships will cost us something because friendship without sacrifice is no friendship at all. Meaningful relationships will cost us something because friendship without sacrifice is no friendship at all. And that's true. True friendships are a result of investing in the lives of others and caring enough to invest. And that's what Joseph did. He invested his life in preserving his family, so to speak, on the big picture. Be available for others because many youth in society today do not have any mentors or positive role models to lean on. And serving others and blessing others is probably one of the, the best ways to work through struggles in our own lives. Because we can all find someone who has it more difficult than we. And serving someone else helps us to realize how good we have it. A gentleman used to haul cattle for me. 
lived in an older farmhouse. He took his wife and they went on a missions trip to Mexico and he told me in a joking way, he said, that was the best investment I ever made. He said, my wife came home and now she thinks she lives in a mansion. And that's, that's funny, but it's reality in our own lives. When we see the needs of others, it helps us understand how good we have it in our own experience. And I will close with the example of Jesus. Luke chapter 2, Jesus had went with his family and friends to the temple to worship. He had stayed behind. His parents had came and found him. And they walked into the temple and began speaking to Jesus. And notice this. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorry. And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wist ye not, or do you not understand that I must be about my father's business? And they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. Now notice the life of Jesus as a youth. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them and to his parents. But his mother kept all these things in her all these sayings in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God and with man. So we notice Jesus increased in wisdom and stature. But it's always more important to increase in wisdom than it is stature. And I know we like to work and I lifted weights too when I was young and you know all that. But growing in wisdom is the greatest pursuit of our lives. Godly wisdom. And we notice in Jesus' life that he grew in favor with God and man. You know, Joseph was a type of Jesus. Wherever Joseph went in Egypt, he continued to grow in his relationship with God, and it resulted in growing in the favor with man. It worked for Joseph, it worked for Jesus, and it works for us. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Drawing a blank. <laughs> Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his, what's next, help me? His righteousness and all these other things will be uh, granted unto you. Yes. So back to the three points. We must keep our priorities in proper order. And remember this. God is faithful. He will never leave us nor forsake us. God sets boundaries to give direction and protection in our lives. Psalm 119, precepts of God. And God has a wonderful plan and purpose for every life. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. God is weaving a beautiful tapestry in every life. May we allow him to do it and to be faithful to him as he weaves in our lives. So I'll turn the time now back to the ministry.